Hi there, this is Rick Moyer, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, episode number 295 for September 5th, 2010. I'm Rick Moyer, filling in for Rico Dosti. Today we're going to be covering the Next Generation episode, Conspiracy. Stick around. Treks in Sci-Fi. What is all this about? I don't care what you believe. Identify yourself with Rico Dosti. There's no greater challenge than the study of philosophy. Am I authorized to enter the neutral zone? Dr. Beverly Crusher. I would appreciate an explanation. Yes, you should. You will respond to my questions. Sit down, shut up, and wait. No, no, no. Your weekly dose of geeky goodness and entertainment news. Now, what do you think that tells me about your character? I'm sorry, I can't tell you that yet. Why not? I'm going to make this simple for you, Mr. Crusher. Either you come forward and tell Admiral Brand what really took place, or I will. Treks and Sci-Fi, the weekly sci-fi podcast. I can assure you that I'm not given to casual relationships. I understand that. Yes, you should. Goodbye. Treks in Sci-Fi. Well, hello, everybody. Such a great honor and privilege to be able to fill in for Rico while he is spending some time with his family. Treks in Sci-Fi, what a great podcast, a lot of fun. I know I enjoy listening to it every week, just listening to some perspective on Star Trek and sci-fi and fantasy and geeky kind of stuff that we all kind of enjoy. But, you know, you can't always talk to everybody at work about it or school or wherever you uh, spend a majority of your time. Not everybody's interested in this kind of stuff. I don't understand why. I mean, because it's so cool. Well, anyway, I'm here with John Luke. I have a cardboard cutout of John Luke, and he he sits in my studio and, and spends time with me, and I'm I'm very excited about that. You know, my wife and I do a podcast called Take Him With You on a weekly basis, and we actually started it after listening to Treks in Sci-Fi and uh, thinking that we would we had something we wanted to say about our lives as well, and so we started our own podcast. So just want to give a big shout-out to Rico and say thanks for inspiring us to do our own podcast, and we have a great time with that. Well, today we are going to be covering a great episode, one of my all-time weird, kind of zany, geek, well, I don't know what you call it, quirky episodes of The Next Generation called Conspiracy. We're going to have all sorts of fun things to talk about, and uh, my son recorded a parody song as well, which we'll play at the end of the, the show, um, to the song Fireflies by Owl City, but this one's called Enterprise, and it's all about this episode, Conspiracy. So, before we get started, uh, I have a couple of things that I want to play for you. Um, Vartok, our own Vartok, the hairy creature from some planet, I can't, Scalazier, I can't remember what he calls his planet, I can't remember. Anyway, Vartok is a longtime listener and contributor to Trex and Sci-Fi, he does all sorts of really good stuff. Um, especially in the area of music. He sends us all sorts of really neat things. I know his family has been working on a Star Trek uh, movie, home movie, that I cannot wait to see. Uh, his kids have been and their friends have been working on it, and I, I'm very excited about seeing what they've come up with. Well, anyway, he submitted a couple of really cool things, so I'm going to play that first uh, to get things started. Uh, it's all about I Am Spock 
from Leonard Nimoy. So uh, take a listen to this, and of course we'll be back to cover the episode in a moment. everyone, this is Vartok again with my first book review segment. For today's segment, I'm going to talk about Leonard Nimoy's autobiography titled I Am Spock, which was first published in 1995 by Hyperion Publishers. Normally, I have been known to review mostly music and an occasional movie. However, I was recently on vacation at a great little spot on the Isle of Palms off the coast of Charleston, South Carolina. Sitting there on the coffee table at this rental home was this nearly all-black cover, hardback book with Leonard Nimoy's photo on it. And Leonard is looking straight out at me as if to say, it would be logical to read this book. At least my offspring took one look at it and said, Dad, you're going to read that, aren't you? Well, I didn't have time to do that with all the activities we had planned into five days. So I quietly packed it away and then read it front to back once I was home. Now the book is a quick read at 342 pages long with black and white photos of Leonard throughout his early years as an actor and with lots of photos added from Paramount's Star Trek archive. And that is really nice since he can be talking about an actor in a particular scene in a certain episode and nearby is a photo of that actor or scene. If you are a Star Trek fan, and you probably are since you're listening to this, you will instantly recognize most, if not all, of these photos. As it notes on the flyleaf, Leonard Nimoy's portrayal of the ever-logical Vulcan, Mr. Spock, is one of the most recognizable, loved, and pervasive characterizations in modern popular culture. His single raised eyebrow, the curiosity in which he says, Fascinating! at an emotional outbreak, the endless ways he pointed out the illogic of human foibles have gone down into history of entertainment as defining one of the true icons of the last several decades. And who better to talk about Star Trek than Leonard Nimoy, since he has starred in more Star Trek series than anyone else, started more Star Trek movies than anyone else, and actually directed two of those movies. Now let's back up just a bit. Leonard Nimoy was born on March 26, 1931, in Boston, Massachusetts, during the Great Depression. He is an internationally known stage, film, and television actor, and has directed several motion pictures. However, I Am Spock is an autobiography. So in this book, Leonard Nimoy is relating his life to us, the readers. Throughout this book, Leonard Nimoy uses a literary tool that I have to admit I have not seen very often, if ever. He talks to himself. That's right, Mr. Nimoy has a regular conversation with Mr. Spock. For example, the foreword starts out with a typed business letter from Spock, addressed to Mr. Nimoy, responding to the question, 
Would you consider writing a foreword to my book? Right after the foreword in Chapter 1, Leonard professes, 1. I talk to myself, and 2. I hear voices in my head. Or rather, I sometimes talk to an aspect of myself, and I often hear one specific voice replying in my head. A very calm, very rational voice. One I suspect many of you are familiar with. Nimoy. Spock, do you have any idea how lucky we are to have each other? Spock. I do not believe in luck. I believe every event is statistically predictable. Nimoy. Really? So at the moment I was born, what were the chances I would grow up, go to Hollywood, meet Gene Roddenberry, and become famous as a green-blooded, pointy-eared alien from outer space? Spock. At the moment of your birth, approximately 789,324,476.76 to 1. Now Leonard's first acting job came about by happenstance when at age 8 he was asked to play the lead role in a local community theater production of Hansel and Gretel. When an adult asked him, do you know this song? Skip ahead nine years later, at age 17, he told his parents that he was going to be an actor and study drama at the Pasadena Playhouse. He reports they were grief-stricken as they were both Russian immigrants who had escaped by fleeing over the border into Poland, and who believed more in hard work and not acting. Leonard, however, persisted. He saved money selling vacuum cleaners, and in 1948, he headed west to California. Leonard notes the coincidence when Spock faced a similar reaction from his parents when he left Vulcan to pursue a career in Starfleet. Leonard's first big break came three years later in 1951, when at the age of 20, he was cast as the lead in a modest film called Kid Monk Maroney. In that role, Monk had a misshapen face, like an ape or monkey. And before you know it, Leonard was being fitted with molds for a rubber appliance. With the facial transformation, he felt like an outsider, like somebody who didn't belong. Now that sounds familiar. Over the next 13 years, Leonard continued to have roles in one or two episodes in many television series, although he skips over most of those details in his book. Take a look in the IMDb and just see how many roles he acted in during his 60-year career. Many in television series with readily recognizable names. Finally, his first full-time series role came in Star Trek when he was asked to play Spock. Gene Roddenberry told Leonard he needed an obvious extraterrestrial to emphasize that the series was to take place in the 23rd century. The original Spock would have pointed ears and reddish skin. According to Nimoy, Spock's first ears were a down and dirty, extremely crude version of paper mache and latex and made him look like an overgrown jackrabbit. In the pilot, The Cage, Leonard notes how Spock was demonstrating emotions and he spoke with a hint of a British accent since, well, Roddenberry thought Spock may have learned English listening to classic British-English tapes. He was also a first officer to Christopher Pike's captain, played by Jeffrey Hunter. If the captain called for full speed ahead, Spock would briskly echo, Full speed ahead! As Leonard notes, Spock was still just dating. 
A year later, and with an almost entirely completely new crew, Gene shot the second pilot in Where No Man Has Gone Before. NBC wanted an entirely new cast and were especially vocal about getting rid of two roles, the female second command, played by Major Barrett, and that devilish-looking alien, Spock. Gene's version of the story is that NBC finally said that either the woman or the Martian, meaning Spock, had to go. So I kept the Vulcan and married the woman, because obviously I couldn't have done it the other way. A new captain was brought on board in the name of William Shatner, who in real life was born just four days before Leonard in 1931. In Leonard's words, Bill came to the show with a certain amount of cachet, a solid reputation, and a lot of expertise. He was always extremely hardworking, extremely well-prepared, and totally professional. But at the same time, he brought with him a great deal of zest and a passion about work, food, his Dobermans, his cars, his life, in other words, about everything. And he has a prankster sense of humor. I think it's time the world knew the hidden, ugly truth about what was really happening on the Star Trek set. Bill Shatner is one of the worst punsters in the world. And it soon became, quote, his five-year mission, unquote, to try and crack me up on the set. Leonard also notes, it's true that we were quite competitive with each other, but it was the competitiveness between two brothers who care a great deal about each other. For the second pilot, Gene hired some other notables to fill out the crew of the Starship Enterprise, with George Takei as Sulu and Jimmy Doohan as Scotty. In the third episode, titled The Cobramite Maneuver, DeForest Kelly was brought on as the ship's doctor, and Nichelle Nichols as Uhura. It was in this third episode that Leonard Nimoy feels that Spock was born, even if he did have blush on his cheeks and shiny skin. He wasn't quite the final Spock the world came to love, but he was getting there. Leonard's book continues to stay focused on his Star Trek career, and then his stage career, and covers movies he has directed. Now clearly I could go on for an hour, so let me say this. If you are any kind of fan to Star Trek the original series, and seven of the motion pictures in which Leonard Nimoy plays the role of Spock, I have to highly, highly recommend you read the book I am Spock. You will find the inside stories about the early days of Star Trek, and his stories about some of his favorite episodes, and they're all marvelous reading. There will be times when you will chuckle, and times when you will say, I didn't know that. In part two to this book review, let me come back and relate some of the stories on how Vulcans came to have their own culture. Back to you, Rick. Vartok, you never cease to amaze me. The quality of your reviews and the the information that you submit to Treks and Sci-Fi completely rocks. Thank you for all the time that you put into it. I know Rico appreciates it as well. I know every time that you submit something, I enjoy listening to it and uh, get a kick not only out of the content, but the quality in which you do it. So, uh, yeah, Star Trek fans. You know, it's interesting. I know I have read just about 
everything I can get my hands on about Star Trek. And I have read some perspective from different actors, uh, like Bill Shatner. I've, I've read his books, and I have to say that after reading his books, the man's ego won't quit, you know. And, and even though they're fascinating and funny and and you get a little more insight into what's going on. It's just not um, not the same as Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy is a lot more warm and a lot more. He's just not as I don't think as crude. I think as as Shatner. And not that you know Shatner's Shatner, and he is what he is, the Shat. Uh, but Leonard Nimoy does have a, a very nice style, and and I think people will really enjoy that. So uh, we will look forward to part two of your book review uh, towards the end of this show. We'll be right back after this. Have you worked it out yet? Do you know yet where you are? What this miraculous machine is? He asked, casually puffing on a cigar. Rose didn't respond. There was nothing to say. Just let him be done and go. Do you want to hear a story? He asked, not bothering to wait for a response. It's a sad story, really. Maybe it ought to be a fairy tale. That's it. Really, it should start with something along the lines of Once Upon a Time. Sarah and Jones are nearing their destination, each day moving closer to answers and betrayal. Past, present, and future will all come together at NASA, the last human outpost. It's time for the dreaming to end, and everyone to wake up. But while the dreaming is over, the nightmare has only just begun. Join us for two double episodes co-written by Stefan Sonic and Simon Meddings. Church and State, and the End of All Dreams. Martians are here podcast, not for the faint of heart. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Here's this week's Star Trek episode on Treks in Sci-Fi. Okay, we're going to get right into the episode. First officer's log, Stardate 41775.5. The episode Conspiracy. While our mission is scientific in nature, we look forward I thought it was interesting that they uh, talked about Pacifica. We hear about Ryza later on, the pleasure planet, but uh, not a whole lot about Pacifica. Well, she smiles, looks him straight in the eye, and says, Jordy's so funny. He's always trying to help Data get humanity. So the difficulty in attaining such complex positioning in zero-gravity environment... Coupled with the adverse effects it would have on the psychological well-being of the average human male is what makes this anecdote And, of so course, the thing that makes Data yes. funny is uh, Very humorous indeed. him trying to understand human humor. <laughs> One of the few times that Data laughs on the show, or at least attempts to laugh. I've done that many times when people have told really stupid jokes. I'll do the same thing Data did. <laughs> Love it. 22 hours, 14 minutes, sir. Increase to warp six. Aye, sir. Full impulse. So now they're on warp six. Arriving ahead of schedule. Headed towards Pacifica. I've been really looking forward to a nice swim. 
You are aware, Counselor. This is hilarious. That can be programmed to recreate an oceanic environment. Data, it's just not the same. Have you ever been for a real moonlight swim? One can swim in moonlight? Oh, come on now. Data. How about you, Mr. Worf? You would think a sophisticated android with all this information. Is too much like bathing. Oh, yeah. And we get two classic lines there. Commander one, Riker. one can swim in moonlight? I'm receiving and then the other one is uh, Worf saying, Verify. it's too much like bathing. So Klingons apparently are really smelly. Because they don't bathe. They don't like to bathe. They're like dogs. Oh, now uh, Picard gets a code 47 or something like that. Yeah. And... Uh, Captain's eyes only from an old friend we've never heard of and we never hear of again. It is not to be discussed with fellow officers. Cool name though. absolutely necessary. He's going to talk to Walker Keel. So no computer record. He's got it. This is off the record. Jean-Luc, Captain USS Enterprise. He's in his little night shirt. verified. Picard. Something's wrong. Walker. Hello, Jean-Luc. It's been a long time. Too long, old friend. Why are you contacting me on this frequency? Yeah, Walker, what's up? Difficult decision. I felt it was worth the risk. Risk? Uh Uh-oh. It's about Starfleet. Now the ominous music starts. Could there be a conspiracy going on in Starfleet? I can't explain it now. We need to talk. He refuses to uh, talk over subspace because apparently I have to know what all this is about. people can hear Not you when subspace. you no. talk over subspace. For God's sake, Walker. This is a secured channel. No. I want you to meet me on Ditalics B. Oh, Ditalics B, the mining well, planet. No, not possible. We're expected at Pacifica. I can wait. You owe me... And you owe it to yourself to hear what I have to say. Oh, boy. Something is beginning. Don't trust anyone. Remember that, Jean-Luc. Don't take anything for granted. Oh, no. Walker. Vitalik's B. We'll be waiting. So, here we go. Set up an interesting thing. Something's wrong in the Federation, or at least Walker Keel thinks so, and he's going to meet Picard. Okay, this what this aired originally the week of May 9th, 1988, and it was um, it was uh, the second to the last episode in season one. So of course we'd all watched and really enjoyed it. Directed by Cliff Bowl, uh, teleplay by Tracy Torme, and the story by Robert Sabaroff. and they had quite a quite a nice guest cast of cool people that played the different things. Um, there was Admiral Savar was was Henry Darrow, and when you see the Vulcan ambassador or the admiral, you'll notice that that is actually uh, later on in the series Jack Crusher. They had his, that actor come back and play uh, Beverly's husband uh, when he uh, talks to Wesley on the holodeck, and then um, that one where that she has the nightmares and everything. You see him, so he he had a recurring role as Jack Crusher, but in in this one he's the Vulcan. Um, Admiral uh, Ward Costello is back again from uh, remember when we uh, reviewed the uh, coming of age he's back as Admiral Quinn we've got Lieutenant Commander Dexter Remick is back again Robert uh, Schenken I think is his name and of course the, the guy we all love to hate 
uh, he's back on the on the show as well. Let's see. Um, other than that, uh, Walker Keel is Jonathan Farwell. Captain Ricks, our Bolian uh, captain, is Michael Berryman. And uh, Captain Trilus Scott, Ursuline Bryant. And here we are. With Ditalix, B. Ditalix B is one of seven uninhabited planets mined for the Federation by the Ditalix Mining Company. It is in the nearby Mira system. So now they've got to go to the mining planet. And they're going to meet up with some folks off the record. This original story, um, from what I understand, was not going to be an alien situation. It was going to be some, uh, some of Picard's friends were going rogue within Starfleet. And they were going to do this big thing. Um, where they uh, tried to overthrow Starfleet. But after the writer pitched it to Gene, Gene actually liked this very dark thing and turned it into an alien invasion instead. And then they used the conspiracy stuff later in the, in the movie, um, The Undiscovered Country. Interesting, huh? And so they're headed to Ditalix uh, B, B. Circling the red giant known as Mira. One side always faces the sun, where temperatures reach up to 180 degrees. The mines line the temperate zone between the day and night sides. Interesting how one they side of the planet deserted. stays on daylight, the other is dark. So you've got this hot side and light side on Ditalix B. That would be an interesting way. How does it orbit? In a manner of speaking, hmm. it is nothing but a lifeless hunk Scientifically, of Scientifically, probably impossible. A worthless chunk of... Thank you, Data. I get the idea. I noticed that in the first season. Do you notice when, when Data gives the information, he gives a lot of information, and and they the, the crew doesn't have any patience with him, and they always stop him because <laughs> they think he talks too much. They don't do that much in the seasons two through uh, seven, but in the first season, they do it to him a lot. Sensors are detecting three Federation starships already in orbit around All right, the, the starships are Identified. in orbit. Two are frigates. The Renegade, commanded by Trila Scott, and the Thomas Paine, Captain Ricks commanding. Interesting, we're going to see the a Bolian come up here pretty soon, who is, is not blue. Ambassador class, heavy cruiser, USS Horatio. Horatio? Isn't that, Isn't that Walker Keel's ship? ship? Yeah, Riker knows who Walker Keel is, even though we've never heard of him. Make no further attempts, Mr. Wolf. Any life form readings on the surface data? Three, sir. All gathered inside what appears to be the entrance to a mining tunnel. Oh, boy. And you know, they did a great job on this. This is interesting, too. Picard's going to go down alone. Alone, Captain? Alone, number one. And on Next Generation, um, the first officer was never to let the captain go anywhere alone, so... He didn't put up much of a fight, which I was surprised that uh, Riker didn't say, "No, you can't, Captain. I've, I'll go for you, or whatever." Or anyway, really rare that the Captain would go down. At least in this series. Now, in the original series, Kirk always beamed down. Okay, great set here that they created in this particular episode of the mining shaft. Um, just really alien and cool looking, and neat colors. The red, and he, he's got to walk down this long, like, uh, uh, plank to get to... Um, he's apprehensive because it's kind of scary inside. Great music, too. This score on this particular episode was just creepy, which I have to say, hats off to the guy who scored it. 
So here's Picard. He's walking. Oh, we see a Bolian, but he's not blue. He's red, kind of, or pink. And somebody else comes, and he's holding a phaser. Oh, and here comes Walker Kill, and some uh, some lady who Thanks looks to, appears to be a captain. This is some greeting, old friend. Doesn't like having phasers pointed Come at him, here. obviously. Where did we first meet? Ooh, the old test. Answer the question. They gotta find out if Picard has Don't been infected by Zabar. the aliens. Quite an exotic one, as I remember. What do I win? Picard's taking it very smooth. Do you recall the night you introduced Jack Crusher to Beverly? Oh, here we go. Know full well that I hadn't met Beverly then. You introduced him. My brother introduced him. You don't have a brother. Two oh, sisters. Good job. Picard, you're so sharp. So he passed the tests. They put the phasers down, and now they're going to explain the, the dilemma they have. We had to be sure you were really you. Walker, what is going on? Captain Picard, meet Captain Ricks. I believe we've met. The Altarian Conference. Oh, yeah, I remember. The Altarian Conference. And Captain Scott. Captain Scott. Tyler Scott. Said you made Captain faster than anyone in Starfleet history. Well, that was until the new movie came out for Star Trek, and now, of course, Kirk made Captain quicker. But apparently, Tyler Scott is the fastest to make Captain. We all came secretly, Picard, to discuss the threat. What threat? Have you noticed anything about Starfleet Command lately? Now, this is interesting. No. But we've been on the outer rim for a while. We haven't had much contact with them. They've been on the outer rim. Some of us What's have the seen outer rim? Strange patterns emerging, unusual orders, mm. high-ranking officials backing irrational proposals. Now, Starbase Twelve I love, completely evacuated for two full days. I love how no um, Captain Scott's going and to rattle off some deaths. names. Here we go. What about Mitchell. the deaths? Ryan Sight, Una Carapides. Una Carapides. Okay. What about those deaths? All dead. A series of accidents. Or so they say. It's hard to be certain of anything. Wonder who comes up with all those names. Are at a minimum. But something is happening. Hey, let's pick and some names that uh, have died. Una Paracletes. For what? By whom? We're not sure yet. Damn it, Jean-Luc, I tell you that some of Starfleet's top command people are changing. This could affect the very core of our organization. Uh-oh. Officers I've known for years are bluffing their way through talk of old times. That's their weakness. A lack of memory. Ah, so we see that the aliens who are invading the the humans or, or the different races of Starfleet here don't remember what happened in their lives. So that's their weakness. So Picard's not going to buy into it right off the bat. Who's behind this? And to what purpose? How are people being changed? I can't say exactly. But I think it's spread to my own ship. Uh-oh. My first officer hasn't been the same since we stopped off at Earth. Okay. Our medical officer Why in the world, then, normal, but I don't think I trust him would either. you Hawkeye. beam down on the planet with your first officer being suspected as being an alien? That sound advice hmm. at any time, Captain. Stay in touch with us. Covertly. This meeting never took place as far as Starfleet is concerned. Please. I'm asking this as a personal favor. 
glad, Jean-Luc. I'm glad you're still one of us. Tell Beverly I... I said hello. Watch your back, Picard. Yeah, watch out, Picard. You don't know what's going to happen to you. Okay, so now we've set everything up. By the way, I was mistaken. Uh, the, the Vulcan ambassador does not play Jack Crusher. I thought he did. He was, though, the, the first to ever do a, a neck pinch. Uh, the uh, um, admiral to do a neck pinch. Sorry about that. I trust Kilo completely. If he felt it necessary to violate regulations, he must have had a very good reason. But you're putting your career at risk for him. Friendship must dare to risk counselor. One of the moral things they talk about a lot on TNG: friendships, loyalty. Then they ask you to keep secrets. And then uh, Dion is questioning Picard now. Are you going to throw your career away? What if what if Walker kills wrong? What are you going to do? I didn't believe in their loyalty. I wouldn't have gone this But from the guy we've never heard of before, never hear of again. No. Well, we know why we don't hear of him again here in a second. He's going to risk his whole career. Diana in her fun outfit. Aye, sir. And her funny Resume. hair. Heading to Pacifica, warp factor eight. Aye, sir, warp eight. At that speed, we should arrive nine. So they're going warp eight now to Pacifica. Very good, Data. I have an assignment for you, one specifically suited to your talents. And now, Captain Picard tells Data, "Here, do this." Computer, this is Lieutenant Commander Data. Research. Please access all Starfleet command orders to starships. And if you watch really carefully on this show, um, as the screen the screen goes, you'll see all this data come up on top on the screen, and he looks at it and he's just scanning through it. They actually um, there's there's a parrot. Why would there be a parrot on that? That's interesting. And the other thing that I thought was interesting in doing some reading, they used this section of data being um, done when the the probe. When, in another episode, they used that screenshot again no. when a probe was uh, looking through the information on the bridge of the Enterprise. So they apparently that was Michael Okuda's uh, cool stuff that he put together. Now they notice something that is wrong. There's a disturbance in the Force. Jean-Luc, a disturbance of the Force. Let's investigate. So they go to investigate this disturbance, even though they don't investigate many disturbances ever. But they're going to end this one. So they're going away here, warp 8 to Pacifica, but they turn around and they're going to go check out this problem. Approaching Sector 63, sir. Slow to impulse. Aye, sir. Going to impulse power now. Okay, they slow down and they look so to see. Uh oh, what have they found? A bunch of debris floating in space. Doesn't look natural. Agreed. Enlarge and identify. It looks like debris from a space vessel of some kind. 
It could be one of those ships that was orbiting the italics. We are in close proximity to that planet. Uh-oh. He just is putting two plus two together. Identifying marks, Mr. Wolf? Nothing so far. Sensors not detecting any bodies in the flotsam. But from the amount of the wreckage. I'm sorry, sir. It can only be the Horatio. Oh, no. Walker's kill... Walker kills ship. Is completely destroyed. Along, we assume, with the first officer who was influenced by the aliens. So, wow. That doesn't make much sense. But hey, Walker Keel is out of the picture, even though he had discovered all these different things. Of course, Beverly's all upset because she remembers Walker Keel. So now, Picard is a little more convinced with the death of his friend. Riker, there's no proof of anything. Oh, yeah, right. People just go blow up. Starships, but there's no proof of anything. <laughs> Some of the writing in the first season was interesting. I don't believe this conspiracy. Okay, I admit it. Some of it was cheesy. And there is uh, data again going through all this information. I love how he's saying fascinating, extraordinary. I love how even the computer in the first season questions data. I was simply talking to myself. Ah. Now, a human idiosyncrasy triggered by a fascination with a particular set of facts. Here, Data is talking to himself. Or and he realizes he has a little bit of humanity in him then. Or as Thank a, you, sir. I comprehend. There, see? Even the computer corrects him in the first season and Please says, you know, you would like to proceed, sir. you're talking too much, Data. Please continue the, the computer. <laughs> and then he gets like this offended look. But he doesn't have any emotions. But, you know. We don't care. Put it in because it's funny. And there he goes again. He's just fascinated by all this information going across the screen as he's reading as no quick, facts. you know, we quicker than any human could. Was an right, Rikers. Rikers still in there trying to convince Picard that there's nothing wrong with the ship blowing up. It's just an accident. We can't be certain. Perhaps we can. My orders were to search for abnormal patterns and start Go, data, go. What a private eye. I believe I found just that. Here he goes. He puts the information up on the screen. Riker and Picard are gonna These are various outposts and starts verify detected unusual activity over the past few months. What sort of activity? An uncustomary reshuffling of personnel. So while we were all enjoying the first season of TNG and some of us not enjoying it, there was this horrible takeover happening in Starfleet. The orders were given with great subtlety. To use an aphorism. Starfleet's okay, a subtle right type of doing. takeover by the if aliens. As to the purpose of these reassignments. I believe it is a clandestine attempt to control vital clandestine. Of That's a great territory. word. So data hypothesizes this could be a prelude to an invasion. That it is a, a plan to take over the Federation. Make such an assessment, sir. Are you suggesting that we warp over to Starfleet headquarters and demand to know what's going on? Why not? Yes, why not? We're talking about a threat to the entire future of the Federation. So Picard, I don't think he's going to take care easy. of this, darn it. Until we've been to the source. 
now they're going to fly back to Earth. We like going back to Earth. Earth is fun. While it is quite unusual for a starship to return to Earth, we seem to be left with no other choice. Why is it unusual for a starship to, to return to Earth? Because they're supposed to be out there exploring, right? Standard orbit, Mr. Laporte. But Picard's going back anyway. So he gets to Earth. Some of the shots you see here um, are shots that they used in the movies as well. Strange. I love that. There's a scene right here where the Enterprise is right over the moon headed to Earth. Oh, it just looks awesome. Even though the perspective Earth would be a lot smaller, but it's still cool looking. Captain, I am now Sci-fi rocks. Starfleet command. On screen. Okay, Starfleet has realized that they're in orbit, and it's surprising to them. Here we go. Greetings, there they are. I am Admiral Savar. This is Admiral Aaron. And I believe you already know Admiral Quinn. Admiral Quinn's there. Yes, indeed. It's good to see you again, Admiral. And you, Captain. Of course, we are always delighted when the Enterprise returns to the nest. So, Yet we are puzzled by the even though starships rarely yes, return sir, to Earth, they're delighted you. when the Enterprise the comes back. Pacifica informs us that you cancelled your scheduled stop there. Pacifica has been a tattletale and called yes, sir, Starfleet yes. to say, Hey, Enterprise now. isn't here Why yet. have you returned to Earth? I would rather discuss that in person, Admiral. Oh, Remick shows up. Who remember Remick? The the dirt bag that questioned everybody on the Enterprise back in Coming of Age. Excuse us for one moment, Captain. Okay, so now um, something's up. Let's see if Deanna can pick up on it. They seem normal enough. On the surface. Counselor, any thoughts? Let's see. Hard to say. Someone is hiding something, but I can't tell who or what. I must say I'm not. So something somebody's hiding something, but she can't tell who or what. I don't like it. You can't trust them. Oh. Forgive the delay, Captain Picard. We'd be delighted if you and your first officer would join us for dinner. Yes, delight. It would give you a good opportunity to expatiate your own viewpoint. What a great invitation. Picard gets a, an audience with the admirals at Starfleet. Excellent. He's going to have dinner with them and discuss what he's concerned about. We'll greet you in the reception area in but there's always a catch, isn't there? Splendid. I won't be able to attend dinner, I'm afraid. But I would like to see the ship and say hello again, Captain. Of course. We look forward to seeing you, Admiral. So Quinn is going to come on board. He can't come to the dinner, but he is going to come tour the Enterprise. Which is interesting because as the time overlaps, he's on the Enterprise when they're having dinner. So why couldn't he have gone to dinner? Hmm. Oh well, it worked with the plot. Okay, so Riker and uh, oh, I love this shot. We get to see a shot of uh, Starfleet, and here they are walking in. Who is this? It's Admiral Quinn. And he's got a, looks like a laptop, but it's a container. And he opens it, and in it is a little squiggly bug. Oh, and he closes it real quick when Remick walks in. So that we don't suspect Remick as being the host, because he is. Yes, Commander. He has bunches of bugs in him. Actually, he has the alien queen, or king, or whatever on the inside of him. So Remick is going to beam... 
Admiral Quinn to the Enterprise with his little laptop full of a bug. Here we go. They filmed it very dark and sinister. This particular episode is much darker and more sinister than any of the other episodes in the first season. On purpose, obviously. Welcome aboard, Greg. Good to see you. All right. Remember, Commander Riker? Hello again, Commander. I must say, you're looking remarkably well. Never felt better in my life. Apparently, the bugs have a certain type of um, regenerating process in them. Anymore. Make I'm the human body feel good. Now. What about another look at the ship? So now they're going to give him a little tour of the ship. Admiral Quinn's on board with his laptop full of aliens. Remember what you told me back at Rover 7? Which, by the way, the sensors didn't detect any life form inside of it. Nor was there any talk of what's in the case there, Admiral. Luke, you took me far too literally. I was only referring to the problems involved in assimilating new races into the Federation. It's an ongoing, tumultuous process which can cause stress and strain on... So Quinn now is backtracking. Picard's asking him, you remember when you wanted me to be I'm the, the uh, star... F- or star or it's not for you to apologize. The Academy uh, guy over the Starfleet Academy... What's, you know, how are things going? No. What's going on? And he goes, oh, I was just, I wasn't referring to anything like that. I was just, I was just blowing smoke up your backhand. <laughs> yeah, to the dinner that you're not able to go to because you're on the Enterprise. Duh. It's really not necessary. No, I insist. When you've finished showing the Admiral anything that he needs, you can join me down on Earth. I may want to stay a while, Jean-Luc. Yeah, after all, you're such a busy guy. So the Admiral is going to stay on board now, Picard says to Riker. Oh, and by the way, we get to see a guy in a dress standing there. That was interesting. Only in the first season do do some of the Starfleet officers that are guys wear dresses. It's not Gregory Quinn. Look like him and sound like him, but it isn't him. Are you absolutely certain, Captain? I'm certain, number one. So Picard knows Admiral Quinn is not Gregory Quinn. Something wrong with him. So I'm going to beam down again alone, and you stay here and spy on him. Riker protests a little bit, but uh, not as much as you would expect. I'm right. Should you be beaming down there alone? There you go. Come on. Good job. Take care. Protect your captain, Riker. Man, Picard has got some guts. He is so brave. So he beams down to Starfleet Command. The United Federation of Planets. Waiting for him are two admirals and Remick. Welcome home, Captain. Ah, the Spock sign. I mean, I'm sorry, the Vulcan salute. My first officer will be joining us shortly. Yes. I'm sure he will. You've met Commander Remick, haven't you? Under less than ideal circumstances. Now, how is it that nice Remick remembers stuff that happened? Hmm. Delightful. But most of these guys don't remember anything that happened in the past, so that's interesting. It usually is. Tonight's a quiet night. Yes. A quiet night. So there's hardly anybody in the halls. Apparently they've restricted access. And oh, okay, now we're back on the Enterprise, and Admiral Quinn now is looking at the little life form, and in comes Riker. What's in the case? They set up a really cool scene here. Doctor Crusher. 
but perhaps you would like to see it first. So apparently what this little bug was meant for Dr. Crusher. It was discovered accidentally by a survey. So Quinn now is saying, uh, hey, Riker, you want to take a look? Because well, let's just look and see if he'd like you. But first, there remains much scientific study to be done. After all, it is a superior form of life. Ah, superior, superior form of life. Riker's like, what? Say what? Summon my science officer. Uh oh. Quinn all of a sudden has super strength. Vitamins do wonders for the body. What a great line! Vitamins do wonders for the body. And then uh, Quinn starts to throw Riker around, or at least the stuntman, because from the back he's got a really bad wig on. (laughs) I think it's funny in that later episodes you don't see a lot of stuntmen, or at least they hide them better. In this one, Quinn obviously was old enough in the filming of this. The actor that played him couldn't do all these different things, so they had somebody stand in for him, and he has longer hair than Quinn actually does. But they do a lot of pretty good stuff here. And they're doing this fight, maniacal fight. Oh, Quinn knocks him into the table, and now they're leading us to assume that he's going to be infiltrated by this alien that Quinn has in his briefcase. Okay, we're back at Starfleet Command. And uh, they've just walked into a hallway that apparently is a place where they serve drinks. And he's got some tea that he's pouring into these really cool-looking glasses. always love the glasses. Oh, by the way, uh, when uh, Remick walks through the... uh, the door to do whatever he's going to do. You notice um, these really cool, heavy doors with the Starfleet insignias on the etched into the glass. They actually took those from this episode and used them uh, in Ten Forward because Ten Forward didn't exist in the first season, but in second season they had that set, so they actually used the doors there that you saw. So that's kind of cool. We got to see those doors the rest of the run of Star Trek: Next Generation. Enjoy and ten forward. I believe you'll find it an excellent aperitif. So now they're drinking. They're drinking. Um, Picard's a little nervous about drinking because maybe it's drugged or something, but he drinks anyway. Back on the Enterprise. Here comes Geordi and Worf running down the hallway. They called for security apparently, but now why would Geordi and Worf come running? I th- oh, that's interesting. Well, Tasha's not there anymore. I guess Worf could come running, but why would Jordy be there? They come in and they find the Admiral, and they find um, Riker passed out. Oh, Admiral attacks Jordy, knocks him right through the doors. I mean, talk about these doors being... He must be strong, because Jordy just went, went sailing. And now Quinn takes on Worf. They're going to have this big fight. And as I've said before, in first season, Worf is a wimp. Everybody kicks Worf's butt. I don't care who they are. They can. If it was a little kid, they would kick Worf's butt in the first season. And as his hair grew, then he got tougher and, and cooler. Well, here he goes. He's going to fight. The alien wants to take on Worf. So Worf does the, cap, the classic Captain Kirk punch with two hands together like nobody ever uses that. Slaps him in the face and then... I could snap your neck in a second. Admiral Quinn is going to throw him around a bit. So he throws him over onto the table, knocks him onto the ground. With one throw, Worf's out. Oh no, somebody just shot Quinn from the side. Who was it? It's Dr. Crusher, who is tougher than Worf. I'm just saying. Shoots him three times on the stun phase. 
with the phaser. Now Worf's finally back up. They check on Quinn. Now she runs over and checks on Riker to see if he's okay. What is he? Let's find out. So now they're going to take them all to sick bay and they're going to check them out and see what the heck is going on with Quinn and Riker. Retinal scans are an exact match. It really is Quinn. So it's not clones. It's not. It's not a robot. It's actually Quinn. But inside Quinn, keep me posted, Doctor. I'll be on the bridge. Is something very interesting that Doctor Crusher is going to find. She's going to do a little. Um, Hypo spray to his neck, and then she notices something. Hey, what's this? That's not a zit. What is that? That's not a, a wart or a blemish. That. Ooh. There's a little pointy tail sticking out of the back of Admiral Quinn's neck. What do you know of conspiracies, Captain? Not nearly enough, I suppose. So that's the charming thing about them, isn't it? When a machination is real, no one knows about it. And when it's suspected... It's almost never real. Mm. Except, of course, in paranoid delusions. Back at uh, Starfleet Command. Talking with Sorry, the admirals. Oh, there's Remick again. Dinner is served. Oh, good. Dinner's all ready for them. That's given me quite an appetite. I need to contact my ship to let Commander Riker know that we're about to sit down. Of course, Captain. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so um, the admirals and Remick. Uh, Remick puts down their glasses and heads on into. What looks like Ten Ford, but it isn't. It's just the the dining room, apparently, at Starfleet Command. May I speak freely? I suppose I have little choice. Where's Riker? He was attacked by Quinn, or what we thought was Quinn. Specify, Doctor. A parasitic being has invaded Quinn's body. Okay. It has complete control over all. So now we see a really cool-looking graphic. It's a hologram of, of uh, Quinn's head and now we see like a skeletal structure underneath and we see the actual alien stuck on his spinal cord negative I've never seen anything like it before Lieutenant Worf if the situation is under control please report to the bridge doctor it's okay so data calls for Worf and um, Crusher is still talking to uh, Picard the parasite appears to stimulate the victim's adrenal glands, generating great strength and resistance to the thought. Never mind the details. Can you remove it? I don't think so. Not without killing the patient. Uh-oh. Can't get him out without killing Captain, him. Captain, you must set your phaser on kill. Stun has little effect. Uh-oh. He didn't bring a phaser. Doctor, one does not beam down to Starfleet headquarters armed. Uh-oh. And then he gets interrupted. Remick comes out. Your food is getting cold, Captain. I'm going into dinner now, Doctor. Tell Commander so, Riker to join me as soon as he's ready. They did a great plot set up here. Um, Got out. She she didn't get to finish talking to uh, Captain Picard. Now we're back in sickbay, and you get this tense music as all of a sudden... Riker puts his hand on Beverly's shoulder. But then we go back to Starfleet Please again, and we're in the dining down, room. Captain. We've been waiting cool set here not only do we have the doors from 10 forward but uh, really cool looking chairs the tables are really futuristic and they have these really interesting pots of food in front of them that are covered 
So he opens up his thing, and looking right at him are thousands of little maggots in his bowl. And they're just squirming all over the place. Now the uh, admirals get these goofy smiles on their face. They open up theirs, and an ensign does as well. And they start eating the maggots, just putting them in their mouth and chewing. It's disgusting. Oh, and they crunch and everything. Now this was so cool for a, for a Star Trek episode to see something like this because it had been so tame up to this point, and then all of a sudden you you got these, you've just got a, basically a sci-fi B movie, you know, with all with aliens, bugs, shoot 'em up, stuff invading the bodies, tails sticking out of the back. This is just science fiction at its best, cheesy, cheesy science fiction. It's so good. So now Picard's trying to get out of there because he doesn't. Uh oh, Riker just showed up and and headed him off the pass. You're not going anywhere. Uh oh. It appears that Riker has got one of the bugs in him. You'll be one of us soon. Oh no. The admirals are confused. You were meant for the doctor. It couldn't be helped. They were trying to get Riker the doctor, not, not Riker. And they turn him around, and Riker, sure enough, got the little tail sticking out of the back of his no, neck. The doctor will be joining us soon. When I first watched this, I thought, oh no. All in good time. What's going to happen? Reminded me of Highland's Puppet Masters. Well, oh, there's Ryla Scott. Good. Now the setting is complete. Oh my goodness, Ryla Scott's one of them. She you killed really Walker Kill. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Patience is one of our virtues, Captain. We didn't go after you. We allowed you to come after us. Wow. So this More definitely was a conspiracy. All along. So Riker forces Picard yes. back into his chair. The one thing both races share is a love of theater. And you've put on a fine show. Apparently the bugs right, have theater, movies and stuff. From? It's not important. Let us just say we've come a long way to join you. So now he asks, where are you guys from? You're the brains. You're the brawn. Ooh, Ryder Scott's going to eat some maggots now. Indeed. Ooh, they're just squirming in front of Picard. Disgusting. Careful to cover our tracks. Careful not to arouse suspicion Ooh. until it's too late. And now it's too late. For you, that is. Okay, now, this is funny. So now we get the whole thing. What is going to happen? Eat hearty, brother. They tell Riker to eat hearty, brother. Relish your new body. And so he opens up his maggots and he gets ready to put them in his mouth. I thought he might eat, actually bite into them. He gets ready. He puts him a couple of. Oh no. He's getting ready to eat, and he pulls his phaser out. Yeah, shoots the little ensign, and now shoots Ryla Scott. One of the admirals runs out. Oh my gosh! Out of Ryla Scott's mouth comes a bug, and they use the little stop animation. And they run down the hall, chasing after the bug. Where's the bug going? So they keep running, 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 running. They're after the Admiral, and then they shoot him. Or actually, the Admiral shoots at him, blows up the painting in the background. They shoot the Admiral twice with phasers, and he falls to the ground. And they run over to him just in time to see his mouth open. And out comes one of those cool stop animation bugs. And it goes underneath the door. Oh no, where'd they go to? They walk into the door, and there, here comes one of the coolest, grossest scenes in Star Trek The Next Generation. They come into a, a dim-lit room, this cool chair, kind of looks like... Uh, Can I help you, gentlemen? 
like Pike's wheelchair. Is there any trouble here? From the original series, but it's not. Perhaps if you tell me what it and is. There's Remick with a uh, picture of the universe behind him, or the galaxy. Oh, and the little bug is running towards Remick, and Rem- they say, Remick, watch out! And then they, very poor stop animation. It crawls up his leg, up his arm. He opens his mouth. Watch this. Well, because you can't watch it, this podcast. But he opens his mouth, and the alien little thing goes into his mouth. And then we see him swallow the last bit of it, and it falls down into his throat. And here we go. Now you get to see the cool special effect work that you they did. Understand. They put a bladder on his neck, and they sat behind the chair, and they put air into it to make it move, so it looked like there was something in his neck. I, and I understand that they had just quite the time doing this. It was quite a fun time. Now he stands up. We seek peaceful so Remick has a bunch of bugs in him. And, of course, instead of Riker and Picard doing... You know, talking to him, they just decide to blow him to bits. So, and this is—he just explodes. And from what I understand, they actually went to the grocery store and they bought meat and different things, and they exploded it so it would look like meat that exploded. Then they shoot him again, and his chest cavity opens up, and out comes literally almost an alien from like the Alien movie, all slimy and makes cool noises. And of course, they keep shooting it. Even though their prime directive is to seek out new life, they just destroyed new life. Of course, it was pretty horrible, and it was infecting the host. But So then they do this shot back at Remick, who has a bunch of little tiny bugs all dead around him in the smoking carcass. Totally B-sci-fi. Fantastic. Just fantastic. What a great episode. Admiral Quinn is expected to make a full recovery. There is no trace of the parasite which took control of him. We'll never know how many of these life forms infiltrated Starfleet, but it seems they could not survive without the mother creature which had taken over, Commander Remick. Ah, so we explained it, it all. Crusher's idea to simulate the bluegill. So apparently, yeah, sure Dr. Crusher had come up with the idea of getting uh, Riker down there with the little bluegill on the back of his neck. Okay, Remick was trying to send a message into deep space. Any idea what the message was, Data? I believe it was a beacon. A beacon? Yes, sir. A homing beacon sent from Earth. So they leave it open for a great invasion plot. Fantastic to leave it open for that. A race of bugs that can infest human beings and other alien um, bodies. And they leave it open that they were beaming the message into space. And, of course, the last scene, the very last shot, you hear the beacon heading off into deep space. And so it leaves you in a cliffhanger. So there you go. That was uh, the episode that um, many many people think was the grossest one of uh, TNG called Conspiracy. Wasn't that fun? I actually really like that episode, and let me tell you why. I, I just, you know already that I like the first season just because it had so many great, um, just kind of cheesy science fiction stuff. Just a minute, let me turn this down. 
There we go. You just you know I like it because it had so many cheesy uh, plots to the first season, and they more were standalone episodes. There wasn't a whole lot of arcs to them. What I think was sad about this particular episode is is I enjoyed the the science fiction elements of it and the B sci fi movie feel to it, but I was not um, thrilled with the fact that they never ever did anything with the uh, great cliffhanger. I mean, you're you're left with going, oh my gosh, you know they're gonna. Um, it's gonna. It's not gonna be good. I mean, there's gonna be something that happens here, and they're gonna come invade the Federation. They're gonna come kick some some butt, and unfortunately, they never picked that up. It was the second to the last episode in season one. The next one is a great episode I like called the Neutral Zone, um, and they never mention it again. And during the whole series, we never we never hear anything. So, I thought that was very very interesting. Um, let me see anything else about the episode that I want to cover. Um, Oh, there you know. There's some equipment oddities, but uh, I've got this great uh, nitpickers guide for the next generation, and it's pretty pretty funny. But uh, nah, there's not a whole lot here that they picked apart, and uh, I thought it thought it was interesting though. Um, oh, anyway, that th- this one says when Data reviews all the Starfleet command decisions for the past six months, a camera angle shows in formation rapidly flashing across the display screen. One of the graphics shown is a parrot. What does a parrot have to do with command decisions? Good question. Actually, the sequence of screen information is used in two other places in the series. It shows up um, when Data scans the record during the Naked Now, and when the portal of the Takan Empire scans the Enterprise's data banks in the last outpost. In the latter case, the parrot is upside down. So apparently they only had so much money for the different effect shots and stuff, and so they used that. So anyway, great episode. Really, really enjoyed it. Um I don't know. I just, you know, they progressed. I thought it was a lot darker than the other ones and just got a real kick out of the whole idea of the maggots and the meat puppet and how they they attempted something quite dark and gross for the next generation. And uh for that, I was I liked it. <laughs> I'm weird, I guess. But anyway, uh my son and I uh, decided to write a parody for this particular program, and I thought I would share it with you. Um, uh, I wrote the lyrics to it. It's to Owl City's um, Fireflies, and my friend um, um, Brett Hammond, who is a listener to Taking With You and to Treks and Sci-Fi, is a Star Trek uh, lover, and he had suggested to me, you really ought to do a parody of, of Fireflies and use the name Enterprise. Well, you know, I took the challenge, and uh, Nathan is my son is really good at doing the auto tune type of stuff, and that's what this type of music is. So we put together this parody for you. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's really hilarious. After that, uh, we'll be playing the second part of Vartok's uh, "I Am Spock" review. So here you go. This is called Enterprise, all about the episode you just listened to, Conspiracy, and Nathan is the one singing on this one. Conspiracy on Enterprise Is that the way it flies? A message sent from Walker Keel Priority message C To meet the Bondi to Lex B The captain's gathering a old mining shaft I'd like to fly back soon, you see To planet Earth, please Warp 3 It's hard to say what's going on in Starfleet 
Cause everything is messed up it seems Cause I saw a thousand bugs When the admirals turned into thugs As they tried to get me to eat their food Riker he acted instead A fake tail out of his head He fooled them all and he shot some dead We could be under alien attack Please take me away from here We'll have to take the planet back Please take me away from here We can't let their message reach deep space Please take me away from here The crew will rescue Earth and save face Back on the Enterprise Quinn tries to fool those guys Kicks Worf's butt But then he fell The bugs are in Remix still Jean-Luc and Riker's kill The meat puppet The aliens they fill, fill, fill I'd like to fly back soon you see What's going on in Starfleet? Cause everything is messed up, it seems. I'd like to fly back soon, you see, to planet Earth. Please, Warp 3. It's hard to say what's going on in Starfleet. Cause everything is messed up, it seems. It's hard to say what's going on in Starfleet, but I think it's a conspiracy. There we go. That's uh, our take on Fireflies called Enterprise. I hope you enjoyed that. Nathan, thank you uh, if you're listening. Thanks for doing that. You did a great job, you and your friend back at college in Oregon, (laughs) having a good time. Well, let's see. What else was... Oh, yeah, if you want more of the great Star Trek parodies that you listen to on Treks and Sci-Fi, you can go over to my Star Trek parody page and download them for free. Yeah, absolutely free at uh, www.christrocks.com slash parody. Christrocks.com slash parody. And you can get my original songs and my parody songs all for free right on that page. And tell your friends about it. Uh, download, 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 and have a great time listening to those. They're a lot of fun to do, and I hope everybody enjoys them. A little bit of geek music for your your geeky pleasure. Yeah. Okay, hey, let's uh, listen to the second part of Vartok's interview, or interview? No, his review of I Am Spock, right here on Treks and Sci-Fi.
Hello everyone, this is Vartok again, with part two to my book review about Leonard Nimoy's 1995 autobiography titled, I Am Spock. In part one, I related some of Leonard's history leading up to his becoming the character Spock when he was 35 years old. There just isn't enough time today to cover his full Star Trek career as related in the book, let me at least provide some of what Leonard Nimoy reveals about how some of Spock's mannerisms came into being. While shooting the Corbomite maneuver in late May 1966, there was a scene on the bridge of the Enterprise where the crew was to be reacting to an enormous glowing globe on the viewscreen. All of the actors were supposed to be concerned about this strange threat, and yet his line consisted of a single fateful word fascinating. Now Leonard didn't know how to say it since he was still gelling into his role as Spock. Director Joe Sargent told him, look, don't act uptight about what you see on the screen. Instead, when you deliver your line, be cool and curious, a scientist. Here from a YouTube clip is that famous expression. Well, fascinating is a word I use for the unexpected. Fascinating. 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 A most fascinating thing happened. Fascinating. Fascinating. But it would be a fascinating project. Fascinating. 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 But quite impossible. Fascinating. Fascinating. Fascinating material. Fascinating. 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 Fascinating cultural development. This is fascinating. 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 Please, Spock, do me a favor and don't say it's fascinating. No. But it is interesting. And that wasn't even all of them. After Spock became more popular on Star Trek, NBC's attitude about the resident alien shifted, and they asked Roddenberry to do more with that Martian on the show. Gene was all too happy to oblige. So as the season progressed, the episodes began to reveal more and more about Vulcan customs and culture. Leonard Nimoy had a lot to do with developing this culture, and decided that Vulcans were a touch-oriented society, from which was derived the Vulcan neck pinch, which was first shown on the episode The Enemy Within. Let's let Leonard talk about where he got the pinch from a 1983 television show, Leonard Nimoy's Star Trek Memories. But what we did develop was a little number called the Vulcan neck pinch. Now, this started the first time it was used in an episode called The Enemy Within. This was our version of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story. What happened was there was a malfunction in the transporter, and when Captain Kirk was being beamed aboard the ship, the transporter split him into two personalities. So we had two Kirks on board now, one evil and one good. There was a scene written where there was a confrontation between the two. And the evil Kirk was holding a phaser on the good Kirk and was going to kill him. Now, the writer had intended that Spock would sneak up behind the evil Kirk and hit him over the head 
with the butt of his phaser. And I was a little offended by that. I thought, this is the 23rd century, and playing a Vulcan, we should have some more sophisticated way of rendering a person unconscious. And I said that to the director. He said, what do you have in mind? And I said, well, Mr. Spock has gone to the Vulcan Institute of Technology, and he's studied the human anatomy very carefully. Also, Vulcans have the ability to project a certain kind of special energy from their fingertips, which, if it's properly applied to certain pressure points on the human neck and shoulder, a human will be rendered unconscious. He said, let's try it. I discussed it with Bill Shatner, and he knew exactly what I had in mind. And when I came up behind Bill, and I put my hand on his neck and shoulder, he really sold it. It was his reaction that makes you believe that it really worked. Let me relate one more piece of Vulcanaria, as Leonard calls it in his autobiography. In his words, which I paraphrase here, possibly the single Star Trek episode was the most resonant today. Amok Time certainly was the quintessential Vulcan show. Amok Time gave us our first glimpse of Spock's home planet and of other Vulcans. The story, a bold one by 1960s standards, dealt with the Vulcan seven-year mating cycle. Kirk puts his career on the line to get Spock back to his home planet. Now in that episode, Spock approaches the Vulcan matriarch, T'Pol, and says, live long and prosper, at the beginning of a mating ritual. As he approached T'Pol, he raised his hand in what is now known as the Vulcan salute. That came from my Jewish background. It's, 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 uh, it's a gesture that the, uh, that's used in a priestly benediction during the uh, uh, Jewish services in synagogues. The, uh, the Kohanim, who are the priest tribe, bless the congregation. When they do, they use this gesture, which is, this is the shape of the letter Shin, Hebrew alphabet, uh, letter Shin. And the letter Shin is the first letter in the word Shaddai, which is the Almighty's name in Hebrew. And the suggestion is that they're using the symbol of the Almighty's name as they bless the congregation. I saw it done as a kid, was entranced by it, learned how to do it, and I brought it into Star Trek. We were doing a lovely episode written by Theodore Sturgeon, wonderful script called uh, A Mock Time, in which uh, Spock has to be taken back to Vulcan. He insists on going back to Vulcan because he's going through this pon far condition, which is a mating condition, and he has to go back and, and fulfill a marriage betrothal that's been arranged since he was a child. We get back to the Vulcan planet, and, he's, and we're confronted by the, this procession that comes out to meet us. And, very important matriarchal character being carried in a sedan chair and and I'm to greet her and she's to welcome me back to Balkan. I haven't been there in quite a while and we're supposed to say hello to each other and I suggested to the director that there should be some Balkan thing that Balkans do when they greet like humans shake hands or military people salute each other, Asian people bow to each other. We have rituals. What's the Balkan ritual on, on a greeting? And I said, well, how about that? I said, okay. So I did that, and she did that, and and next thing I knew it was in the scripts. Spock with the Balkan salute. You know? <laughs> it caught on. In 1977, Leonard Nimoy wrote his first autobiography titled, I Am Not Spock. Now this book was controversial for most fans, as they assumed he was distancing himself from the Spock character. In that book, Leonard also has dialogues between himself and his Spock persona, and talks about his self-proclaimed identity crisis, about whether he should embrace Mr. Spock or go on to fight the onslaught of public interest. In his second 1995 autobiography, I Am Spock, Leonard admits that the first book was a mistake, 
As a result of the first book, studios assumed that he was not interested in being Spock. However, by 1995, Leonard Nimoy seems to have fully embraced his alter ego. There just isn't enough time in this segment to talk about Leonard Nimoy's inside stories or about his directing two of the Star Trek pictures and his later career. So if you are interested in reading Leonard's second autobiography, I have great news for you. You can buy used and new copies on eBay for as little as 99 cents for a used copy to a brand new copy first edition for $12.95 with free shipping. Or for about $30 or more, you can hear the audio version read by Leonard Demoy himself. Well, that's it for my first book review and sci-fi segment. And now back to you, Rick. Oh, also, did you know that Leonard Nimoy recorded five songs for Dot Records in the mid to late 1960s? For fun, as we close out, let's hear just a wee bit of Leonard Nimoy singing The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. In the middle of the earth, in the land of Shire, lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire with his long wooden pipe fuzzy woolly toes. He lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, he's only three feet tall. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. And I am going to mail I Am Spock back to that vacation home so they can put it on the shelf. That's great. Vartok, again, thank you so much. On behalf of Rico, I just want to thank you for all the great segments that you do. You always entertain us and give us something to chew on. And uh, I don't know, though, if I can ever get that song out of my head now. (laughs) Leonard, stick to acting and photography. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks, everybody, for joining me. Um, I'm Rick Moyer. I just had a great time covering Conspiracy, the Next Generation episode. I know lots of great things are in store for the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. Such a privilege, such an honor to be able to help out Rico uh, when he is visiting family. And uh, he's got such a a full plate of things. And so I, I don't mind at all sitting in for him and having fun talking about one of my favorite things, Star Trek. I hope it's one of your favorite things, too. So... Join us next week for another episode. I think Rico's going to cover Message in a Bottle by Voyager, or the Voyager episode. If you have any comments, audio comments, you can send them in to treksf at gmail.com. I know he loves to get audio comments. That's treksf at gmail.com. And not just about the episode that he's covering, but if you want to talk about anything science fiction, fantasy, what maybe you've seen a movie lately that you want to talk about, read a book or something like that that we'd all be interested in, I know Rico would love to get some of your audio comments. Send them in. And of course, don't forget to head on over to uh, treksinsci-fi.com uh, for the website, lots of cool podcast notes and information about sci-fi and geeky things. And then, of course, who doesn't love the Star Trek forum, um, uh, the Treks and Sci-Fi Star Trek forum? It just, it's just fantastic, you guys. I'm, you really need to join up. And if you're a listener, you would love the people that hang out on the forum. Really a nice little family of people, really encouraging, and a lot of fun. You get a lot of great sci-fi information. And that's over at treksinsci-fi.com. And just click on the little forum button, and it'll take you right to it. Register and sign up or just read some stuff there, and you'll really, really enjoy it. Okay. 
that's it for me. I'm out of here. Going to leave you because um, I want to do the Rico again. Going to leave you with the cool song um, did for uh, for Rico last week called Five Years, celebrating the five-year anniversary of Treks in Sci-Fi. So uh, crank this up on your stereo or wherever you are and do the Rico with me. Uh, by the way, Treks in Sci-Fi, copyright 2010, is a Rico Dosti production. Enjoy. See you next week. Rock on. Each and every week, Rico is a man with a podcast week. Serving up track with a dose of care, making us geek smile everywhere. From England to Russia and all through the states, reviewing up the episodes we contemplate. From TOS to TNG, some TAS on NBC. Deep Space Nine, the rock diverse. A Voyager, they got to Delta first. Enterprise with Archer and Paul, and every single movie, he covers them all. Five years, five years. Talking about the three T years, five years, five years, helping out the geeky peers. Five years, five years, the tricks in sci-fi show. Five years, five years, hey Rico, where you go? Do the Rico, do the Rico. Come on, you Rico. The little bars, I can't wait to journey with Rico to the stars. Flying through an episode, I always smirk and get a little trivia about Captain Kirk. Conventions and more, he talks about them all. In season, out from summer to fall. TV shows with a sci-fi twist. So many things I just can't list. Well, the years are flown past, it warps behind. Rico does it right and makes us feel fine. It's a quality show that speaks nerdies. Every time we listen, it's sure to please. Don't stop churning out the show that rocks. We love it every time you talk. Five years, five years. Talk about the pointy ears. Five years, five years. Helping out his geeky peers. Five years, five years. The dress inside my show. Five years, five years. Hey, Rico. Way to go. Do the Rico. Do the Rico. Do the Rico. Do the Rico. Treksinsci-Fi.com Join the forums at treksinsci-fi.com slash forum Dr. Beverly Crusher 
I would appreciate an explanation. Yes, you should. Do you have a comment, a suggestion, or a question? Email Rico today at treksf at gmail.com. That's treksf at gmail.com. And what do you think that tells me about your character? Treks in Sci-Fi, the weekly podcast with geeky goodness and entertainment news. Copyright 2010. All rights reserved. I can assure you that I'm not given to casual relationships. Yes, you should. Goodbye.